0: It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Thursday, October 5th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. If you're asked to imagine Southern California beaches, you'll likely picture their signature flat, sandy shores. But did you know that if they would have been left naturally several decades ago, those beaches would look entirely different today? The California Report has the story. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza speaks with Patrick Perkins, Nevada County's civil engineer, about the draft environmental impact report for the Edwards Crossing bridge replacement. That's all before another of Molly Fisk's colorful essays.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A memorial service for Dianne Feinstein is scheduled for today at San Francisco City Hall, where she's been lying in state. Before serving as a U.S. senator, Feinstein was the mayor of San Francisco. President Joe Biden will deliver remarks by video at today's memorial service. Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to attend, as well as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York. It will be my honor to speak at Senator Feinstein's memorial, to give thanks for all she did for this country, and to honor the legacy she leaves behind. I hope all my colleagues who've worked with her all these years are able to attend so we can say a final goodbye to one of the greatest public servants to serve in this chamber. Meanwhile, hundreds of people lined up at City Hall yesterday to pay their respects to Feinstein and to share their memories of a person who was so synonymous with San Francisco and its political history.
2: I was here when she led us through so many dark times, and she was such a brilliant mayor. And for her to be our senator all these years, it's a privilege to get to be here.
3: I just remember her long Senate career, especially Her contributions to San Francisco when she was mayor, in terms of gay rights, in terms of transit, a lot of it really impacts all of us, um, even in the present day.
4: I would like my daughters to know that she was a trailblazer, and that when you have tenacity, big dreams, and willingness, you can accomplish all.
1: That was Susan Pratt, Andrew Shia, and Erica Moreno, who we spoke to as they paid their respects to the late Senator Dianne Feinstein. The woman who was sworn in this week to replace Feinstein in the Senate is LaFonza Butler. She'll represent 40 million Californians in that legislative body and confront a host of challenges facing the state and country. Butler is a longtime labor leader, political strategist, and most recently the president of EMILY's List, which fights to elect women to office who support abortion rights. But as KQED's Dana Cronin reports, Butler's record is light on one major issue, climate change.
4: LaFonza Butler's appointment came as a surprise to Democratic strategist Steve Maviglio.
1: It was totally out of the box. She was not on anybody's short list.
4: He says that's in part because Butler has never held elected office and has virtually no experience with climate policy.
5: You know, the governor did not appoint somebody who has a long track record on those issues. And I think that raises some questions in the
4: community. California, with Newsom at its helm, is one of the most progressive states when it comes to climate legislation, having felt the compounding impacts of extreme wildfires, floods, drought, and rising sea levels. Here's Newsom speaking a couple weeks ago at NYC Climate Week.
5: The future happens in California first. First cap and trade program in the nation. The first state to address the issue of tailpipe emissions. A few years ago, I required every car sold in the state of California will be an alternative fuel car by 2035 is the first time we had done that.
4: Butler is now tasked with representing California's interest on these issues on the national stage and will cast votes on water policy, wildfire mitigation, drought plans, and more. But her political background is rooted in labor issues, having served as president of California's SEIU for more than a decade. During her tenure, the labor union was peripherally involved in clean energy and fossil fuel divestment bills, though SEIU declined to say whether Butler was was involved directly. Current SEIU Executive Vice President Carmen Roberts says environmental justice has always been a priority for the union, including under Butler.
6: Yeah, that was important to Lafonso because that was one of our priorities and one of our justice agenda items was, you know, environmental justice,
4: racial justice. Democratic strategist Steve Maviglio says while Butler might not bring much direct climate experience to the job, she could bring a fresh perspective.
5: She's fought all her life for poorer people, uh, people living in urban areas, and I think more and more we see how climate is affecting those very same constituencies. So I think you'll see her rise up, particularly on environmental justice issues more than anything else, and be an outspoken force for those in the Senate.
4: Most of the state's top environmental groups released statements supporting Butler and say they're looking forward to working with her. But none agreed to an interview, saying they don't have much to contribute about her record or how she might vote. For the California Report, I'm Dana Cronin.
1: Sand dunes and native plants on beaches can help protect the California coast from the impacts of sea level rise if and when they're allowed to thrive. KCBX reporter Beth Thornton has more on a recent UC Santa Barbara research study.
2: UCSB researcher Karina Johnston says that for decades, locals and tourists have enjoyed the flat, manicured beaches that have become the iconic look for Southern California.
6: A process called grooming or mechanical raking of the beach using heavy equipment became a common practice in the 70s and 80s.
2: But she says mechanical raking flattens the beach and disrupts how waves and wind move the sand. So it's not the best approach for climate resilience.
6: One of the major concerns for coastal communities is the potential for sea level rise in subsequent years and for coastal flooding to become more prevalent.
2: In 2016, the city of Santa Monica agreed to stop raking three acres of beach for Johnston's study. Her team distributed native plant species and used drones to document the transformation of the beach. Within six years, Johnston says the area had dunes of up to three feet, as well as much more vegetation.
6: The amount of sand accumulation over time and the rate at which it was happening is faster than the rate of sea level rise.
2: About half of the beaches in Southern California are still groomed today. She says restoration of the sandy ecosystem is a low-cost, nature-based solution for coastal communities. For the California Report, I'm Beth Thornton.
6: Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org/slash LBCA. Paint Care now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint more at paintcare.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org
1: and that is this edition of the California Report for Thursday, October 5th, we're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez, in Los Angeles. As always, thanks for listening and have a great day.
0: In regional news, some elementary school children in Nevada County will soon be enjoying home-style meals cooked from fresh ingredients as the Grass Valley School District, or GVSD, moves toward its food service goals. GVSD's superintendent, Andrew Withers, said, quote, We are trying to move away from everything being frozen. Everything is made and processed somewhere else. We're moving toward actually cooking and serving meals like what you would serve in your kitchen. Three of the board trustees at the Grass Valley School District toured the newly purchased 4,864-square-foot property located at 972 Golden Gate Terrace in Grass Valley earlier this week. According to Withers, the current GBSD Central Kitchen facility is leased, and its size and scale don't allow GBSD to vend, cook, and serve— at least not in the way that's in line with the vision of the County Food Service Joint Powers Authority, or JPA. A JPA is defined as two or more public entities that are able to operate collectively, and according to California Education Code, the sole function of the GPA is to provide school food services. The school district began searching for a new central kitchen facility during the 2022-2023 school year. The challenge has been finding something that could fit within their budget but the district isn't asking for any money to make this project happen. The ultimate goal is to bring fresh food to children across the county and migrate away from prepackaged meals. At the end of the day, the total cost of the purchase and renovation is in the $1.2 million range. That's all according to Ubinet. A press release announced today that Plumas National Forest firefighters are preparing to start their fall prescribed burning as soon as this week, as long as conditions allow it. Plans are for a mix of underburning and pile burning projects on each of the ranger districts so long as weather permits it. Firefighters hope to accomplish progress in the following areas. Number one, the Beckworth Ranger District, Big Hill Underburn in the Sloat and Cromberg area, Lakes Basin Piles, Frenchman Lake Piles. Number two, the Feather River Ranger District, piles in the Little Grass Valley Reservoir and the Valley Creek areas, Challenge Underburn and piles in the Challenge area, Berry Creek piles near the community of Berry Creek, Oro-Quincy Highway piles along the Oro-Quincy Highway, Concow megalia piles around the communities of Concow and Megalia, Feather Falls piles near Feather Falls, and the Mount Hugh Ranger District, Butterfly Valley underburn in Butterfly Valley near Quincy, Spanish Ranch underburn near Quincy, and those are alongside multiple pile burning projects across the district as they're accessible and as conditions allow. Pile burning may even continue through winter, depending on accessibility, weather conditions, and firefighter availability. On the topic, Forest Fuels Officer Ryan Boer said the following, We had a late but long spring prescribed burning season. After a relatively mild summer, we're looking forward to getting started on fall prescribed burning and making progress on critical fuel reduction work throughout the forest. Public and firefighter safety is our highest priority while conducting prescribed burning and fuel reduction work on the Plumas National Forest. We appreciate the cooperation and understanding of area residents and visitors while we're doing this work to help protect our communities in and around the forest. Prescribed burning takes place when several factors, including fuel moisture, temperature, wind direction and speed, humidity levels, and other measures, are within the range of prescription. Coordination with Area Air Resource Agencies also occurs before operations begin. Smoke from both underburn and pile burning implementation is expected to be visible but not have significant long-term impacts to local communities. There may be reduced visibility on area roads during operations, as well as during evening and early morning hours when smoke tends to settle in lower areas. There will also be increased firefighting equipment traffic in the area, particularly in morning and evening hours. Information will be shared ahead of, during, and following prescribed burning operations on the Forest Facebook page at www.facebook.com/usfsplumas. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 60. Friday sunny with a high near 85. Friday night clear with a low around 60. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, clear with a low around 39, Friday, sunny with a high near 73, Friday night, mostly clear with a low around 41. And for Sacramento and the surrounding Valley, tonight, clear with a low around 61, Friday, sunny with a high near 93, and Friday night, clear with a low around 61. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. in the event of an emergency situation, Nevada County's emergency vehicles are unable to cross Edwards Crossing. Recently, the county has begun considering different ways to address the issue and the public has been welcome to provide input. Up next, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks with Patrick Perkins, civil engineer for Nevada County, to learn more.
3: On September 26th, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors approved the release of the draft environmental impact report for the replacement of the Edwards Crossing Bridge.
5: The current bridge that is over the Yuba River on North Bloomfield is also called Edwards Crossing. Uh, It's a very historic bridge that was built back in 1904, and it's a very popular recreation spot as well as a critical access for people on both sides of the river.
3: That's Pat Perkins. He's a principal civil engineer for Nevada County.
5: The existing bridge that we have right now is structurally deficient. is the exact term that Caltrans uses for something like that. Um, The cost to repair that bridge um, is substantial, and we are unable to repair it, which is why we are going forward with uh, coming up with new bridge plans.
3: Initially built in 1904, the existing bridge wasn't built to withstand the weights of modern vehicles.
5: The bridge is built on what's called a steel arch bridge, and the members that were originally put in were just not designed for carrying today's loads. They were much smaller loads 100 years ago where you had horses, literally buggies, carts, things of that nature um, that didn't weigh near as much. Uh, It's got a four-ton limit or an 8,000-pound limit, which means that you can't drive any emergency vehicles across it.
3: To put that kind of weight into perspective— Consider the fact that many of the vehicles currently roaming the back roads of our county easily push the bridge to its limits
5: my pickup truck that i personally drive which is just a regular ford truck weighs 8000 pounds so the exact weight of a fire engine or even some of the smaller uh, ambulances there's no way you could get a fire truck across up
3: the draft environmental impact report that's currently available for the public to inspect and comment on was drafted by the nevada county public works with consultants docan engineering and it provides three options
5: the first alternative would be a no build alternative if for some reason while the document is out and being circulated uh, we come up with or people bring up items that we're unable to mitigate then we can always go to the no build alternative and basically leave the structure the way that it is right now where emergency vehicles can't get across they have to come in from both sides of the canyon Um, the second option would be for building a new bridge roughly at the same location approximately 60 feet upstream Uh, Alternative number two, which is what we're calling it, third option, uh, is for a new structure to be built a 1,000 feet upstream.
3: Regardless of which option, no new roads will be
5: built. The bridge that is closest to the existing structure would use North Bloomfield Road, and really the road wouldn't change too much at all. Alternative number two, as I mentioned, would be built a 1,000 feet upstream, and that would tie in Uh, on the south side at the sharp hairpin turn and go directly right across the canyon and then tie into the road on the other side of the river. So um, no new roads would be built either way.
3: And as a bonus, the existing bridge becomes a crossing for cyclists and walkers.
5: The two bridges that we're looking at building would be two lanes wide, so vehicles would be able to drive back and forth across them. The existing structure would be left in place for pedestrians and uh, non-motorized vehicles.
3: Since this is just the beginning of the project, I asked Pat for a timeline.
5: What we anticipate is completing the EIR circulation in uh, November of 2023. We hope to come to a preferred alternative by the end of December this year. Um, The next step is to go discuss the preferred alternative with Caltrans and try to work with them to complete um, the funding opportunities. Right now, Caltrans has agreed to fund one of the options, but not the other option. So depending on how the EIR shakes out, we may have uh, some substantial discussions with Caltrans on that. If everything goes well, we would like to get the EIR finalized in July of 24 and start on design. Uh, in the fall of 24, and potentially construction as soon as 2027. Pat says that
3: Caltrans is willing to foot the cost of the first option, the construction of a new bridge 60 feet upstream from the current one.
5: They like the option that is roughly 60 feet upstream, mostly because of cost. And I I certainly understand that. But from the county's perspective and some of the other people that have been looking at this, there's a lot of other items that we really need to consider, which is why we've gone through a, a dual stage EIR. Whereas alternative number two gives much better access in and out of the canyon in the event of emergencies, fires, floods, et cetera. And that's just one of many opportunities that would be much better for the community from that particular standpoint.
3: You can read the draft environmental impact report for this project and look at renderings of the two options online at nevadacountyca.gov hbp. There's also going to be a public meeting about the project on November 1st, and that will take place at the Board of Supervisors Chambers. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza.
0: And now, Molly Fisk.
6: Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I'm thinking about the human impulse to name things and know the names of things. There's a mountain peak I see whenever I drive up over Donner Pass to Lake Tahoe, and every single time I say to myself, I wonder what that's called. I've been told its name. But just like the exact elevation of Donner Pass, which is over 7,000 feet, and also a palindrome, giving me two of the four numbers, I can't seem to remember it. I used to name my cars. The red and white 69 VW bus that stalled out on the highway every time I drove to Vermont was called Alice. But subsequent rides devolved to the Dasher wagon and the planet Jetta. After I finally figured out that Volkswagens had to be repaired all the time, and Toyotas did not, I dropped the manufacturers' names, too. One line of thought says naming things is a way to claim them. If you call it Castle Peak, instead of Third Mountain on the left, you're more involved. And of course, if you name it after yourself or your favorite president, there's an assumption of possession. The land I live on, which is mostly owned by Bank of America is unseated by the local native Nisanon tribe. I refer to it as the poem farm with mixed feelings, thinking I should learn the Nisanon name and also maybe give it back to them. Robert Hass, a poet I love, once wrote, of all the laws that bind us to the past, the names of things are stubbornest. I can still remember how proud I was of learning to spell our street name when I was a kid, Divisadero. Between that and San Francisco, I felt glad to be from where I was from, so I knew how to spell those hard words early on. I thought it gave me an advantage in facing other life difficulties. Mind you, I was six. When I hear the street on the news, I can see it, a silver ribbon extending from the bay all the way to Market Street. It is mine, the way the whole city is mine, 58 years after we moved, the way California remained mine when I lived in Boston, Norway, and Chicago. But it's not that I own these places, it's that I belong to them. They own me, if you will. My skin wakes up in a primal way at the smell of eucalyptus cloaked in fog, or the cable car's chime even in a stupid TV ad. Every lighthouse is the Alcatraz light hitting my bedroom window. As I write this, I can feel language receding and my senses coming forward. The names are meaningful to me, but it's the sensory response to where I am that carries real power. Because we're animals in the end, we managed without words for a long time, and that memory lives in our cells. The names of things may be stubbornest, as Has says, but what we experience is most essential. Salt, air, the sun on our faces, and the cries of whatever those birds are, the ones we don't know the names of, right where we're standing.
5: Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
0: That's our newscast for this Thursday, October 5th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Sugar Pine Music Festival at the Nevada County Fairgrounds in Grass Valley, October 19th through 22nd. Featuring Lettuce, Carl Denson's Beastie Boys tribute, ALO, Garcia Grisman tribute, and many more. Plus camping, vendors, and a kid zone. SugarPineMusicFest.com and Green Acres Nursery and Supply, offering tips for fall planting. Garden tips include planting trees, shrubs, and cool-season vegetables. Plant gurus available at each location. I GreenAcres.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by Claudio Mendonca. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.